Well, way back in 1977, when my wife Tina and I were newly married and first encountering things of the Holy Spirit with my sister, Diane, and her husband, Happy, we began a Friday night tradition. We would uh, eat Papa Dell's pizza together in Pop's uh, small, dark, dingy restaurant there on Wright Street on the campus of the University of Illinois. And then we'd huddle up with two other couples in one of our homes or our apartments, and we'd study the Bible. And as we read through the book of Acts, assisted by a study guide written by a, a, a man named Derek Prince, we discovered things in the book of Acts that we'd never, ever seen before. Signs and wonders and healings and fillings of the Spirit and tongues and prophecy and power evangelism and the life of God among His people and dreams and visions and angels and all these wild and crazy things that weren't in the Bible in the church that I grew up in. And then we began to experience the moving of the Holy Spirit among the eight of us there on those Friday nights as we worshipped and and prayed for each other. And that year of Friday night small groups was life-changing. It was in May of 1978, then we decided to begin inviting our friends to what we called the Good News Center, thinking everyone would want to know the good news that we were discovering. And that church accidentally grew into the vineyard where we pastored for the next 30 years. Our church was birthed as a small group of eight people. Funny thing is, at the time, I wouldn't have even known what a small group was, if you'd asked me. Now, this morning, I'd like to share a message with you that I've entitled, Good Things Come in Small Groups. In some ways, in God's providence, all of you are here today because good things came out of that original small group of eight people 35 years ago. My wife, Tina, and I have either led or we've been in a small group every year since that early experience. And I'd like to encourage you with you, uh, you with just a few of the things that we've learned and experienced as a result of our journey over the last three decades. Now, some may otherwise refer to today's message as Ben's annual shameless plug for small groups. If you're so inclined to describe it that way, that's fine. Because all of us talk about the things that we value and that uh, we're excited about, right? So let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for a brand new day at the start of a brand new week, and we're gathering together to celebrate in small ways what has become fundamental to our lives, loving you, loving others, living it out 24-7, 365. And this hour that we spend together is a token that we want the rest of this week and the rest of our lives to count for you. So we welcome you here in the person of your Holy Spirit. We thank you. You promise that you're here because we're here. But we desire your powerful presence moving among us, Lord, changing us, equipping us, uh, motivating us, filling us, healing us. Lord, all the things that you know better than we know ourselves, what we need, experiencing real life that you said you came to give. We welcome you here in your name. Amen. Perhaps one of the most beautiful and powerful texts in the entire New Testament that points to small groups is found in the book of Acts, chapter 2. If you have a Bible or a Bible app on your mobile phone, you can open to Acts, chapter 2. 
the fifth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Okay. Now, the context for this passage, before we read it, is this. Jesus had died, resurrected, and ascended to God the Father in heaven after having given his followers very specific instructions to remain in the city of Jerusalem until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. On the Jewish festival day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on those disciples who were huddled together in fear and uncertainty into an, in an upper room that was either likely or, or near uh, the, the, the temple grounds, giving birth to the church, Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. Now, the bewildered crowd had a wide variety of responses to this experience. Some were amazed, some were perplexed, and some thought the church was drunk. We can read that in verses 5 to 13. Peter stood to preach and explain the phenomena by indicating that God was fulfilling his promise through the Old Testament prophet Joel, that he was pouring his spirit out on all people, and that the, the nature of God's relationship was now changing. Instead of being seasonal and representational through the priests and only at certain times and certain places, now God's presence was going to come in all of his people, which was a radically different departure than the nature of the relationship that God had had with his people in the previous four centuries. And the result of Peter's sermon that day was recorded in verse 41 of Acts 2. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. So church growth like happened in an instant there. So let's read the, the, the passage that we're looking at, Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in their homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So the Holy Spirit-inspired snapshot is uh, describing here the community that the early church experienced. Now the word in the original Greek language is koinonia, It doesn't refer to one of the exotic islands of Hawaii. It's what we see in the description here in Acts 2. Uh, It appears in verse 42, translated in the New Living as fellowship. It appears the same word again in verse 44 in the word shared. And the thought of sharing is at the heart of the word koinonia. The idea is of one person having a joint participation with another in something special. And we would think today along the lines of kindred ties, intimacy, closeness, and accountability. It means the common sharing of the grace and the love and the blessing of God. A sense of belonging together. We might more familiarly call it community. And in, in its original display here in Acts 2, we see that koinonia had seven unique features. First, it had a common entrance, verse 41. People embraced 
the gospel of the kingdom and were water baptized. Secondly, it was essential to the life of the early church. Verse 42, they devoted themselves, continued steadfastly in fellowship. Thirdly, it affected the community. Verse 43, uh, there was a deep sense of awe. Verse 47, they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. Fourthly, it was the soil of miracles. Verse 43, miraculous signs and wonders permeated their community life. Fifthly, it held believers together and it met needs. Verses 44 and 45, they shared everything. Sixth, it reflected a a value of gathering regularly for public worship in the temple and then the strength and necessity of small group gatherings in their homes, verse 46. And we see there that the text said they met in the temple and their homes. And then lastly, it was punctuated with joy and gladness and worship and church growth, verses 46 to 47. They shared their meals with joy and generosity. They praised God. They, they shared the Lord's Supper. And then the Lord added to their numbers every day those who were experiencing this koinonia. Now, wow, that that is community. So whatever else the church is and does, we've got to, like, live that. That's That should be one of our, our goals, one of our targets, as it were. And it's in part why we here in the Vineyard have said that at least two of our primary four values, the things that we hold dear, are that we want to genuinely experience God and that we want to authentically connect with others in transparent, authentic relationships, because that's what we see in this Holy Spirit-inspired snapshot of the early church community. Now, ever since uh, this account of the early church was written, one of the most consistently effective ways that God's people, the church, have experienced this kind of community is through small groups. In the era of the early church fathers, through the Dark Ages, and then well into the 14th and 15th centuries, the church historians tell us that small groups were often at the spearhead or the catalyst of spiritual awakening. In the Reformation, when the Word of God was made available to people, the the church gathered together in small groups to actually study the Bible for themselves, and it revolutionized the church. In the 17th century, during what is now known as the Great Wales Revival, House meetings played a significant role. John Wesley's class meetings, which were really a a form of small group where people developed an intensive, accountable relationship by asking a series of of self-disclosure questions. They were um, powerful agents to transform the church in England and Scotland and Wales and even the United States. And then in the 19th century, D.L. Moody uh, was used uh, powerfully by God in creating a vehicle for life transformation through small groups. People were nurtured and reached out to others through small groups. And then since the 1940s, the experience of small groups has literally exploded all around the world in churches, both Protestant and Catholic, of of, of every stripe, every conceivable stripe. And today, without question, the largest, the fastest growing, and the most effective churches in all the world whether that's in Korea, Singapore, China, Latin and South America, Africa, and even in the United States, the ones that are powerful and effective, fastest growing, are really a network of vibrant small groups or house churches. And all this is simply to say 
that small groups are not a fad. They're not the latest church gimmick, nor are they the program du jour that we're going to experiment with. The scripture, church history, and present day experience all around the world, in all cultures and all uh, and all people reveal that small groups can actually be uh, the the place where the real biblical experience of Koinonia actually echoes what we see in Acts 2. So what is a small group? Well, frankly, there's a wide variety in style all around the globe. There is no one-size-fits-all. We don't actually know exactly what they look like in Acts 2, for that matter. But in the vineyard, in our 30-year history... A small group is a network of 5 to 15 friends. And they happen to gather regularly to connect with one another and pray for one another. Now, these gatherings also include worship, applying the Bible to our daily lives, supporting and encouraging one another, and hanging out, doing life, and having fun. Our life together uh, often spills outside the boundaries of our once-a-week meeting as we share dinner together, as we take in a movie, as we hang out at the ballpark, as we serve our communities, as we bless a neighbor or maybe a small group member in need, or we go camping together. When someone in our church family is is sick or is hospitalized or has a baby uh, or experiences a death in the family, it's frequently the small group that rallies around, prays, and provides food and child care. When marriages are struggling, it's the small group that provides support. When people need to put a new roof on their house or move a piece of furniture, it's the small small group members who show up and do the heavy lifting. Now, a small group might consist of people at the same stage and place in life, but often they're very eclectic. So there are a, a mix of singles and marrieds and young and maturing in the group as well. And... Groups have a desire to experience the kind of genuine koinonia that that we've seen in the Bible and that we're talking about today. When these groups gather, sometimes twice a month, sometimes three times a month, some, you know, for the radicals, are meeting every week, they experience what we call five W's, for sake of easy remembering. Welcome, there's an icebreaker, and as the groups mature, they no longer, the ice needs to be broken because it breaks when the first hello is exchanged. But a welcome, a time of sharing God's word, that's the second W, generally applying the tenets of our talk together on Sunday, uh, at least in principle, to people's lives, although it could certainly be some other subject or maybe another book of the Bible or a book of common interest. And then there's a, the third W is a, is a time of worship, either with a worship leader or a DVD or a CD where we focus for a few moments on our relationship with God in that way. Fourthly, we experience wind, that is the wind of the Holy Spirit in, in praying for one another and the needs that are present in the group. And then fifthly, a time of witness, either mentioning or uh, praying for our, our five friends who need to know Jesus. Now, we understand fully that in the life cycle of, of a group that sometimes there just isn't time and space for every five W, all the five Ws at every at every meeting. So at the end of the day or the end of the month, or the end of the small group trimester, however you want to frame it, we're concerned mostly that the small groups practice what we call CPR. Because CPR is what keeps you alive, right? 
C, connecting with one another, and PR, praying for one another. When we cut to the chase at the bottom line, small groups are the way that we connect and pray for one another, CPR. So what I'd like to do for the remaining minutes in this uh, message is to describe for you the four things, the four good things that come in small groups. Compelling reasons why you may consider, if you're not already part of a small group, why you may consider joining a small group in the next trimester. The first good things that, that comes in small group is that you can make friends. Now, everybody wants to have friends. Everybody wants friends that share similar values and similar lifestyles. And it's increasingly hard to find them, isn't it, today, in our fragmented, isolated, digitized, Facebook video game, stay-at-home, watch movies, and sports world. It's just difficult. The garage door goes up in our neighborhood, people pull in, the garage door goes down, and you never see them again. It's just really hard to, to break in. Where do you find friends? Where do you find people that share similar values, that, that, that are in the same place and station in life as you are? Where do you find them? Now, let me just say, I, this is a caveat. I understand that some people, maybe even you here today or those listening on our podcast, have absolutely no more margin in your life for new friends. Or you may say, you don't want new friends. Then I just want to say, we acknowledge you with no guilt or no shame. We understand that certain people's life space, that's where you're at. That's fine. Um, but for those who desire uh, the, the perhaps the best place for connecting at the kind of friendship level we're, we're, we're seeing in, the, in, in this snapshot of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, for friendship level at this at this place is the is the church community. That's that that's the best place to make friends who share similar values and passions. Here's the rub, though: as any church gets beyond a group of eight people that fits in your in your you know one living room, um, as the church gets larger, it becomes harder and harder to connect with others in meaningful ways. And so, it, it, it isn't to say that connection can't happen in, in all the church's environments. To be sure, community can happen in any one of our functions, regardless of their size. For instance, uh, you can grow spiritually and connect with other people in, in our large group Sunday worship gatherings, as many of you do, at our mid-sized gatherings, like the barbecues that we've had and will have tonight, among parents raising children, or our mini-groups. We haven't talked much about those, but just to cast a small vision, many groups are are 15-week huddles of guys and guys or girls and girls, gender-specific, and they huddle around a small curriculum that that uh, we've written in order to provide a transparent, accountable relationship structure. We're calling it the Big Five because we ask five penetrating questions. How's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with significant others? How's work? How's church? And how's your money? Now, there's, there are already a number of these groups that have been seeded through the church, and if you've heard whisperings or, or murmurings about them, yes, they're true, they really do exist, and you're going to be invited into one you know, shortly or within the next year, or you can start your own. Talk to me later. But all that is to say is that at every level, whether it's the, the public social level of a large group gathering, whether it's the more personal level of a, of a community-sized gathering, or whether it's at, a, at the very... Uh, uh, intimate level of a, of a mini group, you, you can find connection and meaning in, in place. You can have identity, true connectedness, a sense of belonging, and identification with the group and its values can happen in any one of those settings. But it, it goes without saying that it gets harder and harder 
as the groups grow and as their, as their numbers proliferate. So here's the rub. Here's the key to the rub is that as the church grows larger, it must grow smaller at the same time. As any church family grows larger, it's got to grow smaller at the same time. And that's what small groups enable the church to do. Small groups have historically, over the centuries, been the optimum place for friendships to develop. Now hear me closely. We don't promise you that small groups are going to be the place where you will get deeply personal and develop intimate and lifelong friends. We can't make that promise. We can tell you it's got potential. Uh, but at times, I fear that in our exuberance, our meaning our, the, pastor, the pastors who lead churches, <laughs> in our exuberance to, to oversell small groups, we promise people that you will find meaningful, lifelong, organic friends that you take for the rest of their life. And that can happen and often does. But some end up disappointed that they're willing to risk and invest in small groups, and then it doesn't happen. In many cases, these intimate, lifelong friendships do form. And I can tell you, in our own experience, in, in Tina and in, in my life, in the last three decades, some of our best friends to this very day are people with whom, uh, at, at some point or another, we've shared small group life together with. Often small groups provide the environment where people can then identify with the people that are similar in life and space and value or with whom they believe they want to invite into that spot of intimate, uh, personal space. Doesn't always happen, but, but it can. And so all this is to say that over the long haul, small groups provide the seedbed for friendships to flourish. The second good thing about small groups is that you can grow personally and spiritually. It may come as a surprise to you to actually discover that our growth to maturity in Christ is directly dependent on our involvement with and our commitment to love other people. Almost every spiritual growth passage in the New Testament is surrounded by an encouragement to love. Now, you may know the great themes of the Bible. You may have memorized great portions in, of the text. You may have notebooks full of notes from your Bible studies. You may have a head full of facts about the Bible. But the question is, do our social relationships show that we're actually growing at all? Learning to love others is where we grow. That's the growth edge in personal and spiritual development. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11 to 13, the Apostle Paul said this, May God our Father and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. May He, as a result, make your hearts strong blameless and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. So we grow into Christ's likeness as we learn to love. 
That's what the text is telling us. And this, this text is not isolated by any means. How, how, how does growing into Christ-likeness, as he says, being, being uh, uh, blameless and having a heart that is strong and being holy as we stand before God, how does that happen? Well, you know, in, 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 when you commit to love people, you have to accept in patience and understanding their frailties. There are irritating habits that test your patience. There are going to be sins that you have to forgive. There are going to be offenses to let go of. There'll be debts to, to release. There'll be opinions with which you disagree. There are going to be idiosyncrasies that you have to learn to tolerate, quirks that you have to overlook. There, there are going to be um, issues of selfishness that rise to the surface that have to be put to death and crucified. This is the work of growing up in the kingdom as we learn how to love others. Loving others will cause us to mature in ways that nothing else can. I'm all for Bible study. I'm, I'm all for memorizing scripture. I'm all for attending worship services. I'm all for serving in the community. I'm all for sharing our faith. But the reality is we're, we're, we're not going to grow in the way that God's designed it until we uh, engage loving others. Our lives are actually meant by God to touch each other very deeply. You see, we can kind of persist to be a bag of marbles. Uh, a marble is a round sphere, hard sphere, that affects the other marbles in, in collision. Any of you play marbles? I, I realize that you know I may be dating myself now when, when I'm talking about marbles. Uh, for those of you who don't know what they are, they're little glass. No, no, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, if the church is a bag of marbles, I mean, like, who cares whether there's 80 or 85 marbles in a bag on Sunday morning? You know, you can stay home and you don't miss anything because all marbles do is bump into each other. But if God's design is not a bag of marbles, but more like a bag of grapes, especially a bag of grapes that sit out in the sun, and they all kind of start to smush together where every part becomes part of the stuff and you can't extricate yourself from the stuff. That's probably a, a, a better and more accurate biblical picture. Uh, that's how we, we begin to really grow when we, we become part of the stuff as that bag of grapes together. Uh, hence the, the name Vineyard was actually very prophetic when it was given to, to uh, the leader of our movement, Ken Gullickson, back in the 1970s. God's design is, is not a bag of marbles, but really for the church to become a bag of grapes. And, and when our lives start to connect and smush together in that way, we can really learn how to begin to love. Many of you have that experience. You, you, you know, those of you who are married, you, you, you know, have a, a, a relationship like that. You, you began to grow in ways that you never thought imaginable, right? As God uses your spouse to, to identify your stuff. Those of you who had a roommate, you know, thought it was going to be great, and after about two weeks in, you think, oh, gee, living with him or her is going to be hell, you know. And, and, and uh, you know, maybe it's a classmate or maybe it's a, you know, a, a friend. And, and, and those relationships, they start to rub on you in a way that, that nothing else did. And what this is just indicating is God's plan for personal spiritual growth and development is when we learn how to love and small groups provide an environment for that to happen. So you can find friends, you can actually begin to grow and mature spiritually. Thirdly, you can practice real Christianity. So my, my deep conviction is that real Christianity is learning how to love. Paul said to Timothy, his understudy in 1 Timothy 1, 5, the end of the commandment is love. The bottom line is that we learn how to love. And so real Christianity is learning how to love. Now, on 14 occasions in the New Testament, the writers 
framed for us an encouragement on how to really love people and practice what is called the one another's. So, as we're expressing real love, it's framed by the, the authors in the New Testament this way. We should love one another. John 13, Romans 13, 8, 1 Peter 2, 22, uh, 1 John 3, 11. Honor, in honor, prefer one another, Romans 12, 10. Don't judge one another, Romans 14, 13. Forgive one another, Ephesians 4, 32, Colossians 3, 13. Comfort one another, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Serve one another, Galatians 5, 13. Accept one another, Romans 15, 7. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. Forbear one another in love, Ephesians 4, 2. Encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Don't provoke one another or envy one another, Galatians 5, 26. Teach and admonish one another, Colossians 3, 16. Exhort one another, Hebrews 3, 13. And consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, Hebrews 10, 24. Now, you cannot do the one another's from a distance. You need an environment that is up close and personal. And in my conviction, my perspective, the small group is like a greenhouse. It, it's the environment where the one another's can actually happen. It's an environment where you can practice the one another's up close and personal. And so small groups provide us an opportunity to actually practice real Christianity. And then fourthly, the fourth good thing that comes in small groups is that you can take risks in a safe environment. You see, in the context of a growing friendship, the comfortable and informal setting of a small group, uh, and, and especially the small group gathering, it allows everyone, particularly the quiet, quieter people or the more introverted people, to actually begin to engage. Everyone can participate. In the vineyard, we're fond of saying it this way, everybody gets to play. And the small group is a great environment for that to happen. It's safe to try and to take a risk, to step out of your comfort zone. It, it, it's like pulling people out of the bleachers onto the playing field, onto the basketball court. You can begin testing how you hear from God and, and experiment moving in a spiritual gift. In this way, it's like a laboratory where you can experiment and learn and talk about the values of the church and learn from others who have have had uh, experience walking in that path uh, longer than you have. You see, the preached and taught values can actually be put into practice. And so instead of just talking about laying hands on the sick, we actually lay hands on the sick and pray for them. Instead of just talking about spiritual gifts, we actually give expression to the impressions that we get when we worship. Maybe it's a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or a, a, a word picture that you got or a, a, an encouragement through prophecy. Instead of um, just believing that you're called and gifted to lead, whether that's in a Bible discussion or prayer or hospitality or worship or administration, you can actually do those things in the context of our small group relationships. You can put them into practice. And one thing I love about small groups is there's plenty of room for mistakes. I like to say it this way. You know, in order to get the good cookies, you got to tolerate a few burnt ones. And small groups are a great place to tolerate the burnt cookies. So great to be able to see God up close and personal, moving in powerful ways in the lives of people you love, to see him answering prayers and their lives being changed because you as a group are praying together and supporting one another and encouraging one another. So 
four good things that come in small groups. Friends, personal and spiritual growth, uh, you can practice real Christianity, and you can take risks. Everybody gets to play. I want to close by attending to just a few issues of practicality. Hear me clearly up front. You do not have to be in a small group to consider yourself connected and part of the Vineyard Church. I want you to know right up front, the, the, the intention of this message isn't to guilt or to shame you into being a part of a small group. If, if the place in life you are right now is, is where you are, uh, and it, there's no margin for them, no guilt, no shame. We're going to give you that. On the other hand, we ask you to give us the unapologetic, continual appeal for people to experience the community life, the koinonia that we believe is in the Bible, through the avenue of small groups. And our deep conviction for which we are going to be unapologetic is there are going to be aspects of community life, church life, relationships, and and spiritual growth that we think you're going to miss if you're not in a small group. Okay, so we'll give you that. You give us that, all right? We encourage you just to try a group. Uh, If it doesn't fit, if you don't gel, then visit another one. On that list of, of groups that's in your program today, there are five groups that four of them meet here in Peoria, in Peoria area, one in the Morton area. Uh, if you try several, and our promise is this, the leaders of those groups aren't going to take it personally if you decide you don't fit. Yeah, it's, it's, it has little to do you know, with the personality of the leader. And so you don't need to risk offending or hurting anybody. Just tell them we're not coming back, and that's fine. Okay? <laughs> Our small groups are seasonal. That is, they, we want to attempt to reflect the natural rhythm of many of our lives. The way our life works, I mean, if you're like me, and I know I am, uh, the, 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 <laughs> the, the seasons, are, like we're busy, a lot of activity, and then there's a little break, and then there's seasons of busyness and a break. And so we, we try to design the small group triads or the, the trimester system around a spring busy season, and then we take the month of May off because May is always crazy with graduations and moving and recitals and, and life change. And then, then we meet in June and July. Then we take the month of August off as families gear up for school and people uh, move and find new places to live. And we, we settle into our fall routine. And then we meet uh, over the next 12 weeks until Advent. And then we'll take off again from mid-December to mid-January because, you know, you might as well just, like, count the holidays out, right, because they're just crazy. And so the deal is you're not making a lifelong commitment when you go to a small group. You're committing for 12 weeks. And you try it for 12 weeks. I mean, anybody can try anything for 12 weeks, right? And if it doesn't work, okay, take, take the next trimester off. And so you're, we're not asking for, you know, signing a covenant for lifelong membership. You know, you don't need to worry that we're going to track you down and wonder where you're at in small group. Mm-hmm. You know, you just... You just try it. And so you take that sheet out of your program today and you take it home with you and pray over where you might want to connect and, or some of you are already know where you're, where you're wanting. You can check it off and drop it in the, in the uh, offering box today. I'd like to wrap today up by just sharing with you, um, Lamar Schrock's story. You're going to have an opportunity to meet Lamar. Uh, so many of you already know him, but at the end of the service, he leads our, uh, our ministry team. But I'd like to just read to you as an exclamation point to this um, message, Lamar's story regarding small groups. My Christian walk has been a journey of continuous growth in which small groups played a, a major part. As a baby Christian, small group provided a safe place where I could begin to ask questions 
without concern of being embarrassed, where I first prayed for other people and where I first experienced receiving prayer and being filled with the Holy Spirit. I would say the highlight of my years in small group was a season about five years ago when we experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit unlike anything I'd ever experienced. The Holy Spirit came powerfully during our ministry time each week, bringing physical and emotional healing. He poured out spiritual gifts on people and just refilled people in general. That season had a major impact on my life as I realized this new dynamic of kingdom life and power. Now, while we still struggle with dealing with this current evil age, doing community life in small group has proven to be a great place for me to be encouraged and to experience the power of God's kingdom breaking into my life. Thanks, Lamar. Lord, we just give you great uh, thanks that that you invite us into experiencing community, the kind that we see snapshotted by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And Lord, our, our hearts long for this same kind of experience, genuine real friendships, seeing the power of God move among us and having an effect on our community, seeing signs and wonders and miracles, meeting needs in practical ways and and seeing people uh, that don't know you come into experience life in your kingdom because of koinonia. Lord, uh, we're just we're just hopeful that those that haven't experienced it would taste it and see that it proves beneficial. It's not our intention, God, today to coerce or strong-arm anyone, but to say the way Jesus prescribes life is attractive. And I pray that as we enter this new season of small group life, that our church family could experience much more of what you intend for the church to be. Put grace and power on our lives in order for that to happen. And now, Lord, as we continue worshiping you by giving of our hard-earned resources uh, to give them away freely as a token of saying, we're just trusting you. And as we lift our heart and hands in, in song, we pray that you take these tokens to mean what we intend them to mean, that we want our lives to count for you in your name. Amen.